Welcome to episode 14 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to mention that we want you. We want you to be involved with the 3C Digital Media Network as a content creator. If you have a course in mind or a webinar, or if you'd like to start your own podcast, we would like to work with you. So go over to the 3CDigitalMediaNetwork.com website and sign up to be a content creator today. And now back to the interview. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with doctors Pat Shute and Mary Ellen Nevins, two of my heroes out there in the field of deafness and spoken language and cochlear implants, but they have some new work that they want to share. Here's a quick introduction. Dr. Shute and Nevins are leaders in the field of education and communication. Their areas of expertise include leadership development in both medical and academic environments. With more than 30 years of experience in education, medicine, and collegiate administration, these dynamic learning leaders are passionate about each professional reaching his or her fullest potential. Their combined experiences provide a context for professionals who seek advancement in their respective workplaces. Dr. Shute and Nevins are recognized as experts who guide aspiring professionals along a personal path to career fulfillment through proven instructional methodologies. It is my pleasure to welcome Drs. Shute and Nevins to the podcast. And I'm excited to have the dynamic duo, Drs. Mary Ellen Nevins and Pat Shute with us today. Would you guys uh, introduce yourselves uh, a bit more for those who might not have heard about uh, your wonderful careers? Mary Ellen, why don't you go first? All righty. Well, I'm Mary Ellen Nevins, and um, I am a teacher of children who are deaf and hard of hearing from, um, I guess, my uh, most basic skill. I uh, did some teaching. I did some supervising teaching, went back to school and did some doctoral work, um, worked as a university professor. But um, probably uh, the most important thing that I did early on in my career was hook up with uh, Dr. Shute. And Pat and I have been working together for um, almost 30 years now, or maybe more than 30 years, um, when I first um, met with her at um, Manhattan Eye, Ear, and Throat Hospital. We spent a lot of time together in those early years working with um, kids with cochlear implants. Um, I had a do-over in the mid-career and left the uh, Northeast area, moved out to Michigan, did some consulting work there, ended up in Little Rock for a couple of years at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. 
um, and circled back to my new hometown um, here in Michigan. And uh, Pat and I decided that we would join forces together once again to um, develop something new. So Pat, maybe you'll you'll pick up from where I've left off and fill in some of those missing pieces. Surely. So I am Pat Shute, and I am an audiologist. Um, I have a doctoral degree in audiology from Columbia. I um, My biggest claim to fame is having uh, developed the first cochlear implant program in New York, um, where we began implanting children and with single-channel devices and eventually became a huge center um, there. Uh, I left clinical medicine and around the year 2000 and entered the academic world. I then moved up through the academic world and completed not only teaching professorships, um, but went into higher administration. I was the dean of two colleges, and then I became the provost at a small state college here in Georgia. I left New York several years ago, and now I'm happy to say I am down in Georgia. Um, and as Mary Ellen said, you know, we have been colleagues for um, many, many years, and um, it all began with the cochlear implant program. Um, we, uh, when, I, when I began the implant program, it was obvious to me that this was not something that was just an audiologist and a speech language pathologist, that we desperately needed to have the teachers involved. And so I began looking around for a teacher of the deaf. Uh, Mary Ellen was recommended to me, uh, and uh, when I met with her, she looked at me in a very skeptical way, as if I had probably, you know, um, I don't know, came out of another planet. Uh, this was back in 1987, by the way. We were both 12 years old. Sure. Um, and, and uh, you know, there's, um, there's a history there, which I could go into, but I'll, I'll toss it back to you for a moment, Todd, to see if you have any questions or I can proceed with how we got to where we are today. Well, we can we can go back there because I happened to pull off my uh, bookshelf this little <laughs> called "Children with Cochlear Implants in Educational Settings" from 1996. I think is the publication date that I saw the copyright date. So I, I was trying to remember because I think we first met the three of us when you guys came to South Carolina. Um, came to Columbia back, it must have been 97, 98, because I left in, I think it was 2000 when I left uh, Columbia. But you guys came down to do a, a NECI training. And so that was really a big deal at that time of trying to get more educators trained in how to work with these children. And, and actually, I think um, that's really where we build up, built upon our own abilities, not only as knowledgeable professionals, as an audiologist and as a, uh, a teacher of deaf children, but what we were really trying to do was to essentially build this network of people throughout the United States and actually begin to have them lead teams. You know, for us, it was really a matter of stepping up to the plate and saying, it's not just about the surgeon. I happen to have worked for the most wonderful surgeon in the world. He absolutely um, would listen to us when we would make uh, recommendations about whether or not a child should or should not be implanted. 
but other facilities weren't quite, quite like that. And part of the reason that we were um, so actively involved with that training was to try to give the um, individual team members the opportunity to really step up and take a lead. And so leadership for us is a very important and strong part of who we are. The content behind that is really what propels us in terms of where we're headed now, because um, we believe that whether it's a cochlear implant program or whether it's a person who is in a healthcare facility or somebody in a classroom or even someone who is um, sort of tinkering on the edges of health profession and business, that there are things that people need to know in communicating um, intent and purpose. And maybe Mary Ellen, you want to jump in here just for a minute and talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that has become apparent to me over the years is that sometimes we find ourselves in leadership positions when we um, did not think of ourselves as leaders, that we became experts at a particular craft, whether it's speech and language pathology or teaching, but all of a sudden we found ourselves moving along this career journey and maybe developing these leadership skills on the fly, if you will, um, in addition to the ones that we we were um, fortunate enough to figure out along the way. And I think it's that retrospective look at our own journey, thinking about how do we help others who are in the health education, um, health professional education fields, and how do we help them purposefully develop the kinds of skills that will help them become leaders beyond just their area of expertise, but across um, a multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary profession. So we'll jump forward a little bit and we can go back and forth in time if we want to. So you guys have started the, the Shoot and Evans Consulting and, and propelling careers forward is, is the focus. So it's a leadership training opportunity. You want to elaborate a little bit more about if someone contacts you, what happens? Do you put them into a course or you start consulting individually? How does it work? Mary Ellen, you want to start? Sure. Well, one of the things that um, became very clear to us was that we wanted to help others develop the skills that we thought would help them become leaders in their fields. Um, Chief among them is communication and, of course, the leadership role itself. Um, so as we got started, we conceptualized this synchronous um, gathering. And, and quite frankly, before the pandemic, we were thinking in-person learning, um, kind of going back to those old uh, necky days in which we would travel from site to site and bring that information locally. Um, pandemic hits and we shift gears immediately and decide that we will make it online and we will make it synchronous. Because we believe in the community of learners and building that community, that we each have something to offer 
and something to learn from one another. And so with that in mind, our first product, if you will, is the Academy. And right now it's uh, a five-week synchronous online program that runs about 12 and a half hours. And we um, are looking to build cohorts that are national, really, um, so that we have taken away the geographic constraints that comes when you're in person. And so we can have folks from across time zones or maybe someday even countries participate, sharing their own experiences, using real life scenarios to help contextualize some of the leadership skills that we want to build. Pat, maybe you'll add to that. Well, actually, I, I, I want to go back to something because we've been alluding to NECI. And I think for those people who might be listening to this podcast that have no idea what NECI is, I thought I'd take a moment to at least talk about that. NECI stands for the Network of Educators of Children with Cochlear Implants. And I think what was built into that was, number one, the notion of networking, And second of all, really giving people the same language and vocabulary to be working within the field. We had constant um, communication with individuals that might be the only speech language pathologist in the school or working with the only deaf child. And they felt so isolated and they felt like they didn't have anyone to talk to. They didn't have anyone that they could um, approach with any of their questions. When we fast forward to where we are now, one of the things that we're trying to do is kind of that same network of putting together leaders who could look up and say, you know, I have this issue and this issue is, um, you know, there's someone in the office who is creating a lot of unrest. How do I do that? The same way we had a speech language pathologist saying, I don't know how to take a deaf child because I've never been trained in this. How do I do that? So there's a lot of the same skill set involved. We've just kind of changed the um, consumer of, well, no, not the consumer. It's like the end user. So we were working with deaf children. Now we're working with organizations. So you both have been in academia. And this is something that I'm personally very curious about. Uh, What do you think are the leadership challenges for faculty right now? Uh, what, based on your experiences? <laughs> okay, this one I'll jump in on. Having just been a provost and vice president of academic affairs, um, I will tell you that the um, the challenges among faculty across the board, I don't care if you're in a private university or in a state college, are the same. People, uh, and this is before the pandemic, the pandemic adds a new amount of angst that no one was ready for. But One of the problems, as I see it now, is that faculty have so many things on their plate that they have to teach X amount of courses. And depending on where you're at, I can tell you that a small state college, the course load was outrageous for for faculty. Um, They then have to do scholarship and teaching and uh, service. Uh, And there's this perception in the world that college professors sit around in their office and just wax poetic 
they go to lunches. They, um, and I can tell you that um, having been in charge of groups of faculty, first as a dean in private universities and then as the provost in a state college, I've never seen anybody sitting around in their office um, because if they are in their office, they've got a trail of students trying to get in to see them. So I think that the professorate has really um, been much maligned through the years. And it's, it's very unfortunate to me because in foreign countries, you know, if you're a professor, you're actually looked upon as the top of the ladder. And I think that many of them are just trying to get through their every day. And in getting through their every day, they're not um, developing themselves as individuals who might want to take another step up, maybe not leave teaching completely, but take on another role because they are so dynamic. They are so fluid in the way they deal with students. We have students that were living in our cars, in their cars. We had students that, you know, um, couldn't afford to come back the next semester. You know, the, the hardships that these kids had to endure in order to try to get an education were remarkable. And I think after a while, quite frankly, in every profession, there comes a little bit of burnout. And what we're trying to also do with the professors that are out there that are interested that have some of the skill set is say, hey, begin to kind of reinvent yourself, begin to think about what else you think you might want to do other than teaching in a classroom. It's not to suggest you should get up and leave. But what it does suggest is begin to reinvent yourself, because I think I look at my own career, you know. Um, I started out as an audiologist. I worked, I did hearing tests. And then from there, I was like, okay, this is not doing it for me. Let me look at the next thing. I got involved in cochlear implants. After that, I, can, I continued in cochlear implants the whole time. I then went into education. From education, I went into administration because I think I kept trying to think about where the next place it is that I wanted to be. And that's what we're trying to get the, the faculty member in colleges to think about. Mary Ellen, you have anything you want to add as a, you know, having been in that position of being a chair for a period of time and the kinds of challenges that held and what you saw? Well, I, I think that um, as I began my career as a teacher, I never thought of myself as being a chair of a department at some point in time, that there was a, a, a path that um, I followed, but it kind of was a happenstance path. I, it was not as planned and directed. I wasn't as cognizant of it as it happened. It's only as I look retrospectively that I can see a lot more of what that path looked like. And I think based on that experience, we want to, we want a short um, circuit some of that path and say, how is it that we can take control of that path and actually look for the development of those skills that will help us instead of letting it happen to us? Let's take control and charge of it. Well, I really like that, you know, taking control and creating the future you want to have, essentially. You know, I've always been puzzled being in academia when we got when we talked about leadership, you know, it's, it's, it's probably one of the areas or one uh, profession as, in a sense 
where we don't do a lot of leadership development, you know, and you, you do work your way up, you become a professor, and it's almost like, well, who's been here the longest, then you're the next person who's going to be the chair. You know, and, and so I've, I've always found that to be quite strange, that you just sort of sort of thrown into leadership, or people expect, oh, he's, or she has been here long enough, they should do it. Well, that person may not want to do it or have the real skill sets to do it. It's just the next person in line based on seniority. And so it's it's been interesting to watch that over the years. And I've had some wonderful experiences with some great chairs and great deans, and then some not so great chairs and not so great deans along the way. So, you know, I've seen the good and the bad and the ugly, so to speak, but uh, like we all have. But I, I've always found it fascinating that in academia, there really isn't a great deal of leadership development. The way well, and, that's, and that's one of the reasons we decided that we really needed to do something because mm-hmm. um, there are people that, as you say, they, they just get assumed into the position because they're next in line or they get almost bullied into the position because no one else wants to do it. Um, a lot of people who uh, come into uh, academic situations um, and work their way to the top stay at the same institution. And that's probably never good for the institution either because it's kind of like an inbreeding. You know, it's kind of interesting because if you think about where we came out of the cochlear implant world, we spent our lives trying to teach children to listen and to communicate. We tried to teach children how to become advocates for themselves Mm -hmm. and to take that position almost of power, if you think about it, teaching a child that they can speak and they can do whatever they need to do, uh, despite the fact that they have a severe to profound hearing loss. And somehow, you know, that gets, we we did that for the kids, but we don't do that for our, our faculty. Faculty, you know, which is the most insane thing, have never even taken education courses on how to teach. You don't become a faculty member in a college uh, by taking courses. You become a faculty member in a college because you have expertise in an area. Mm-hmm. And so you may be the greatest mathematician in the world, but you still don't know how to teach math. Right. And so that's sort of where we were headed when we started doing some of this with propelling careers. And I just have to jump in and say, um, I love the fact that the podcast is called The Listening Brain, because one of the things that we talk about in our um, our curriculum, if you will, is how to be a good listener. Good leaders are good listeners. They are empathic. How is it that you listen to the folks with whom you work and help them get to the next level? How can you be a coach? Those are the kinds of things that we love to be um, thinking about because it's not part of our curriculum until and unless we start to look beyond the the area of expertise. And one of the other things I I wanted to mention is that one of the things that we say is that we've curated a lot of leadership information from the business world, but we believe that in education and the health professions, we've got a different environment. While leadership is leadership, I think that what we're trying to do is contextualize it in the kind of workplaces that we find in the health professions and education. So 
just to follow up, Mary Ellen, what, what do you think are the differences between business, a traditional sort of business perspective versus healthcare and maybe academia in terms of leadership? When I think about the, the environment in which we work, in which there's from my perspective, much more of a team-oriented um, betterment of the people with whom we work, um, whether they be a patient or a student, as opposed to um, selling a, a widget or a service. And so I think with that as the backdrop, it feels like we need to be a little bit more human in the exchanges that we have and be um, much more concerned with how our um, conversational partner is hearing what we say, and as I said, and whether or not we're listening deeply to what our conversational person um, exchange is all about. Pat, maybe you can um, so, add. To that. And it's not to it's not to say that they're mutually exclusive because it doesn't matter whether you're selling widgets or you're teaching deaf children. There are still ways to communicate and to be part of a conversation and to be authentic and, you know, to be logical, all of those things um, that I think are important. And that's not to suggest that we, um, you know, we wouldn't look at a corporation, um, but, but, but the reality of it is the corporate entities that we're working with are those that have something to do with hearing loss at this point, which makes the most sense. I don't think that we'd be doing something with car salesmen, although to be perfectly honest with you, some of them really learned to need, need to learn how to listen. Mm -hmm. um, and that's no offense against car salesmen. Um, but what I, what I think is important is that we are approaching this from the perspective of understanding the individual areas of expertise that those individuals have so that we can build upon it and they can they can see what those things that they want to do for the future, whether or not they're available for them, or whether or not they just want to have a better understanding of how to communicate with people. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, uh, Mary Ellen hit the nail on the head when she said that, you know, these are individuals that are working in fields where, you know, essentially it's not a widget, it's a person, it's very different. Uh, and I think that that in and of itself um, makes it a little bit uh, more uh, user-friendly from the perspective of what we're trying to do. That makes sense. What you guys are, are describing, I was just uh, finished a lecture on motivational interviewing, mm -hmm. uh, using some of those techniques with, you know, explaining test results, for example, or mm -hmm diagnostic results and how you can do that by being a good listener and how you model uh, appropriate interactions with a parent or with an adult or, or the family, whatever the case may be. And so it, it you know, I, I like that you guys are taking that on as a focus uh, to develop as a part of the leadership training. And so communication is a very important part of that training. What are the other areas or uh, are you guys going to be bringing into the training? 
One, one of the things that we, we like to do is talk really about leadership styles. So we have a couple of authors that we um, recommend and follow, and we share some of the information um, that um, they have shared with the world of business, again, adapting it to our own. Um, I'm, I'm a very big fan of Liz Wiseman, who talks about multipliers and diminishers. And um, when you take a look at leadership from those two sides of a coin, um, I, I kind of fall pretty heavily into the multiplier camp. And the reason I do is because um, that was the leadership I experienced um, when I hooked my wagon to Pat's star, as they say, um, low those many years ago. Um, I think that Pat saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And she helped me develop skills that I didn't know I needed to develop and probably um, set the stage for me to pass that on um, in my subsequent roles as um, what I would call a multiplying leader. I I didn't know that term until Liz wrote the book. Um, And I remember sitting at a conference and, and she was describing you know, talk, think about your the best boss you ever had that came to mind. It was Pat. And then she described the characteristics of that person who, who looks to bring out the best in the person with whom um, she is uh, in contact. And having experienced that and reaching depths that I didn't even know I had, I think I just glommed onto that and decided that that was my style because it works so well for me. Mm-hmm. You're going to make me teary here. Um, so uh, just to jump off on that a little bit, I mean, you know, we do have some of our favorite authors. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. Um, and also, believe it or not, Doris Kearns Goodwin, um, And I think there's a lot to be learned from historical events that have taken place and looking at the styles of leadership that people have espoused to. It's not just about communication. It's about action, the way you take that action. It's about taking the group of people that you're working with and getting them to see a shared sense of purpose. Um, It's about understanding when you make an error that you don't beat yourself up for the next six weeks or six years or lifetime, um, how to address the changes in the um, environment around us. We're living in some very turbulent times right now. And it's not just about the academic. How you deal with that on a daily basis is not even just about communication from a verbal point of view, but it's about action and activity. And then the final part, really to allude back to what Mary Ellen was talking about, is really trying to build a succession of leaders behind you. You know, we can't be so full of hubris that we're just going to do it ourselves and we're at the, we're the end. Once I'm gone, nobody can do it. Um, we really have to be looking down the aisle to say, hey, who's the next person who can take over? Or, hey, I see something in that person that I want to make sure they recognize in themselves because I think they have the capability to do more. And um, I can tell you that one of the things that I've always done in every job I've ever had is to truly try to identify those individuals that I see full potential in. Now, sometimes there's people who think they have potential and they probably don't have the most potential, but 
you know, they still have something that they might want to offer. So between running the classes to talk about all these aspects and then doing some individual coaching, um, we have found that that really is something that we can address because a lot of times people are in these jobs, as you've already said, they just inherited them. They're doing the best they can, but they are reacting instead of responding. And when you have that reactance versus responsiveness, it really creates a day full of angst and unhappiness for a lot of people. So you could say that we're just trying to make the world happy. And the other thing that I think um, is so important is that we're building these networks as we create these cohorts. And so that in between our synchronous online meetings, we also ask our participants to be part of a smaller group, dive a little deeper in between the larger um, discussions and personalize it perhaps to their workplace or to another experience that they have. We're hoping that those connections then will stay Um, vibrant for the folks who become part of a session cohort. And maybe even um, once we get a large enough constituency of um, PCLA, Propelling Careers Leadership Academy um, completers, uh, we, we might have a little community of our own that transcends just the individual sessions. Well, it sounds phenomenal. And I think, you know, not to, um, get into politics or anything like that. But I think uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't say our country right now, we are in dire need of more leaders and leadership. And and I I really applaud what you guys are doing. And I, I hope you continue to be very successful with, with all that you have planned. So how long... Uh, can you give me some oversight or just a little bit of information on how long the, the training lasts and are there different stages? Well, we, yeah, what we have um, conceptualized currently is that we are looking for a 12 and a half hour program mm-hmm. that we run synchronously in five successive weeks. So two and a half hours um, meeting on Zoom in which we go through the, um, the, the important points, um, the objectives that we're trying to achieve and have those real life conversations. So we try to build some things into the toolbox Uh, take a look at um, what's working and what doesn't work from week to week as we come back together. Um, And at the end of those 12 and a half uh, hours, uh, five weeks of uh, synchronous online learning on a weekly basis, we think we're ready to launch um, our um, completers to uh, return and try to apply those same skills now in the workplace. It happens immediately and it continues to last um, as they go back to the workplace and see where, where they can be effective with some of these new tools. Well, and as Mary Ellen alluded to earlier, it's not just we, we don't sit in, in front of a Zoom screen and, and lecture at people. It is a very interactive phenomenon. Um, we use these scenarios. Um, there is a lot of back and forth. We are there to uh, listen to people um, who give us their real life scenarios. Um, 
We keep the group small. It can be anywhere between six and 12 people. We don't go over 12. It gets hairy with more than 12. Um, And we just feel like, and, and these these sidebar, these these meetings that take place after the two and a half hours, we set them up in smaller groups. We try to diversify the group. The first cohort that we had, we had speech language pathologists, audiologists, um, people in deaf education, uh, people who were PA, somebody who was a PA, um, an occupational therapist, which was great because it wasn't, it was, it was just so dynamic and it was so interesting. We had people who were professors, people who were chairs already, people who had been chairs and went back to being a professor. So it was a very eclectic mix of people who brought a lot of rich stuff to the table. And quite frankly, based on some of those conversations, we, we, we started to tailor a little bit of what we were doing each week to address some of their issues. And, and then we got into the coaching where we are actually involved with, you know, individuals who um, we coach on a semi-regular basis, addressing some of their needs in terms of looking at what their Uh, personality styles are like, what kinds of problems they're having at work, uh, to try to to give some cogent, uh, important information that will allow them to think about their positions in a different way. Uh, So we're really excited. Our next cohort is starting Wednesday, October 7th. Yes, that's correct. I think we have one or two more spots left. Um, we are really excited about doing it again. Um, and you know, we, um, you know, and, and, and already we're talking about PCLA too. I was like, okay, let's, you know, I mean, Mary Ellen and I spent the first, uh, I don't know, six months almost, well, it was just before the pandemic started. Um, we built a curriculum that, uh, it's a good thing we're really good friends because like we could yell at each other a lot um, and still know that we love each other. Uh, but we, we beat this out of each other in a way that we're really proud of because um, having two different perspectives and frankly, with two very different personalities is so important because it's, it's part of what makes us us and I think has made us so successful all the years that we worked in the cochlear implant field because we, 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 we always refer to ourselves as Lucy and Ethel. You can imagine who's Lucy and who's Ethel. Um, but it's, it, it really is important for us to have that dynamic because we spread that out over the group and, and the groups have all said to us, wow, not only was this great information, but it really, the dynamic of working was just one of the better ones that they've had. And, and some of them have taken leadership courses already. Mm-hmm. And we enjoy each other. Um, the relationship is genuine. And um, we want to, we have fun when we are um, working with other folks who want to have rich dialogue, who want to um, be a part of moving forward and and really share their own experiences and are, are genuinely looking for some validation, some direction. And we try to provide all of those things in, in the course of the course. And so um, we think that um, this is just the beginning. 
We're excited about what might be on the horizon, but Mm -hmm. we surely think that there's something there that um, we're tapping a need. As we made the announcement to so many of our colleagues, that was the feedback that we got. Um, This is going to fill a niche for us, um, for our field particularly, and for the larger education and healthcare um, professional field, um, that we're we're happy to step up and be a part of that space. Well, it all sounds very exciting. And uh, who knows, maybe you might see my face uh, signing up uh, eventually. So, how can people get in touch with you guys? I know I've seen some posts online, but in case no one has or someone hasn't seen that, how can they get in touch with you to learn more about the training and maybe even en- enroll? Uh, that's a great um, opening, and I thank you for that, Todd. We um, we have cleverly um, been able to get the propellingcareers.org domain for us. Um, we, we think that we like the concept of Propel, propelling your career forward. So propellingcareers.org is the website where they can go and get more information about our objectives, our weekly content, how to apply, Um, We have a great administrator who will um, answer any questions that anyone has. And to tell you the truth, we want we want folks to be in touch with us if they want to be a part of it and have a conversation with us in advance. To me, that's as important as, you know, getting a, a, a note saying that you're interested. Let's have a conversation. Meet us. Get an idea of who we are, what we're all about, um, whether or not this feels like it's a good match for those who are seeking to build those leadership skills. Right. Well, it, again, sounds exciting. Thank you guys for coming onto the podcast and uh, I wish you all the best of luck. Well, Thanks thank so you, Todd. And we hope, I hope our paths cross soon. Very soon. Propelling people forward. That's something that Mary Ellen and Pat have been doing for years. And I'm sure this new endeavor will be just as successful as everything else they've done. And you can help us propel this podcast forward by leaving us a five-star review. If you do that, that helps us to attract new subscribers and new listeners and to grow the program so that we can reach more people who need this information. So please do so. And until next time, thank you, as always, for listening. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.